morning, everyone. Uh, if you have your Bible, I hope you have your Bible or a device. Uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 this morning. So I want you to turn there, but I'm actually going to put our passage on the screen as well, just for a moment. And I would like for us, now that you've sat down, to stand. And I'd like for us to read this passage together, the Word of God that we trust will impact our hearts this morning. I hope you can see that well enough. So let's read these verses together. This is Acts 2, 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. And God, we ask today that these words would impact us, our lives, our hearts, our attitudes, our actions. We invite your spirit now to teach these words to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I want to begin by saying this, these words that are on the screen that we've just read together, this is authentic church. And I don't know what for you to read those words and to consider your own church experience or our church experience here at Wallenstein Bible Chapel. But if you are doing that, you might be feeling like, really? A am I that far off? Are we that far off? Is this what we are supposed to be? Or maybe some of us would question whether it's really fair for us to take these six verses and compare ourselves to these verses, or to take these six verses and say, this is authentic church, this is what the church was meant to be. Some of us might say, well, these, these verses simply describe the very first church in Jerusalem, the very first local church. It was also the universal church at that point in history. It's not fair to take this description of that church and say that that's the authentic one, that's the right one, and, and we should be more like this. But I want to start by giving you some reasons why I believe this is exactly what we should do, why we should see this description as an authentic church. Here's the first reason. This is the original. This is the first local church. The first uh, church as an entity of the followers of Jesus gathered together and filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the first. Now, when I was a child, uh, Coca-Cola decided to change their recipe. Anyone else old enough to remember this? And everyone, everyone's like, no, this tastes like, this tastes like Pepsi. We want our old Coca-Cola back. So then they had to, uh, they had to, to rename their product Coca-Cola Classic. Do you remember that? Am I the only one? No one drinks Coke around here? What's, what's the problem? They had to go back to the original because the original is what people loved. The original, what people said, that's the right one. And I'm saying this, this is the first. This is the first example of what a real church was. So we take notice of it. 
Secondly, we would say this is an authentic church because it was birthed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. The study that we're starting today is going to be taken from the book of Acts, and we're going to see the things that God was doing and what the church was doing. And some people would say it's actually not the the acts of the apostles that we're reading in that book. It's the acts or the activities of the Holy Spirit. This is an authentic church because it was fully empowered by the Spirit of God. And that's, I hope, that's what our hope and desire is for our church. Number three, it's an authentic church because it was led by the apostles of Christ. These men had just been with Jesus for three plus years. They had been taught by him. They had seen true Christianity in action in his life. They had learned from him. And even after he died and rose again, they had been in seminary class because every time Jesus showed up, he would be teaching them and explaining uh, and helping them to understand the Christian faith and, and how it connected to the Old Testament and what it was that he wanted them to do in making disciples of all the nations. These men had been with Jesus. They were the first leaders of that first church. Number four, this is an authentic church because it made a huge impact on the world. And not at a time when it was easy to be a Christian because very early on in the book of Acts, we're going to find intense persecution is launched against the people of God and yet they had this huge impact on the world. By Acts 17, the gospel had gone into Asia. Apostle Paul is there and and he gets arrested. And in Acts 17, we read one person describe the, the actions of the church and the apostles by saying they have turned the world upside down, Acts 17, 6. Isn't that what we want for our church? Don't we, we, don't we want to be part of a movement like that where we get to be used of God to impact the world in such a huge way? That's what an authentic church does. And finally, it was, uh, uh, it was resilient. It was a resilient church that even in the face of opposition and difficulty, even when they were a minority, even when people hated them and persecuted them, it was resilient. It couldn't be stopped. And one last thing, actually, it was the church in simplicity. You know, any church that's been around for more than 10 years develops traditions and habits and activities that may or may not be in line with God's vision for the church, for this authentic church. And in this case, there was no tradition that was hampering the work of God through his people. This was the church in simplicity. And we can learn from that. We can learn from that kind of simplicity. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to look, as we examine these six verses, I want us to see the activities of an authentic church, number one. Secondly, I want us to see the attitudes of an authentic church, and then I want us to see the outcomes of an authentic church. And my hope and prayer is that we can all be challenged and inspired to see this in God's word. So first of all, the activities of an authentic church. What we find most clearly in these verses is this concept of togetherness. A church is the people of God gathered together. The word church is a Greek word that means called out and called together. Called out of the world, 
brought together. And by the way, when I say called out of the world, never think that I mean we are meant to be separate from the world because John 17 says, Jesus prays, he says just to his Father, just as you sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. We're called out of the world as the people of God. We're sent back into the world to be the people of God. Togetherness. Notice verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We're going to look at that in a moment. But notice the second thing. They devoted themselves to fellowship. We uh, tend to water this word down in our minds. The word fellowship means to have in common. It literally means, it's, it's describing a community life, a togetherness. We might think of fellowship as getting together and having food and some fun and laughing and being with our friends, and that's certainly part of it. But it goes way, way deeper than that. In fact, this passage describes to us some of what it looked like for them to live in this Greek word koinonia, fellowship. Notice verse 44. All the believers were together. What does that mean? It means they were together. It means that they got together. It means that physically they shared the same space. They enjoyed being in the company of one another. But then it says that they had everything in common. What's mine is yours. What's yours is mine. You have a need, I'll share what I have with you. And, so, and then verse 45 says that some of them sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. This is koinonia. This is life with life. We've talked many times about how in our culture we are individualistic and we separate ourselves and we live on our own and we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we take care of ourselves. And that's not the way much of the world lives, actually. Much of the world is far more uh, familiar with this kind of community life in the Eastern world, in Asia, and in, and in Africa. These places are, are more familiar with this. We have to fight against our North American tendency to be individuals. This is a huge challenge for us. This is one of the struggles we have as a church in this culture is to live in this koinonia. We will have to prayerfully push ourselves way out of our comfort zone beyond what our culture says is normal in order to live in this kind of lifestyle. For a simple example, have you ever heard of anyone who sold a farm or a property and gave all of the proceeds to God or to his people or to missions? Some of you may know of people who have done that, but for most of us, this sounds shocking. And I would tend to argue, for some of us, we would view this as irresponsible, wouldn't we? Because we'd say, well, hold on a second. I mean, I've got I to gotta save for my retirement. I, I've got children and grandchildren. I want to leave something for them. Not necessarily wrong. It's a, it, Proverbs actually speaks of, of a godly man leaving something for his children's children. But we have our North American reasons to read this and think, well, I, I wouldn't never do that. But if we're, if we're agreeing that this is authentic church, this is authentic Christianity, then we have to wrestle with this. When is the last time you or I gave of ourselves, whether it was time or energy, our abilities, our gifts, our finances, we made a big sacrifice for the sake of a brother or sister in our church family? That should not be abnormal. 
That shouldn't be a once-in-a-lifetime event. That should be common. That should be the way that we live. I may not have a farm to sell or land to sell, but I have much. I have so much. How do we share with one another? This is togetherness. Then we see in verse 46, they continued to meet together. Notice the, the language here. They continued to meet together. They met in the temple courts, it says, every day. If you've ever seen a model or a picture of the temple courts of the time of Jesus, these were huge, massive places where people could gather. Hundreds, even thousands of people could gather. And we know in Acts 2.42, just before the verses that we began reading at, we know that 3,000 people were saved this very day. These thousands of people were able to meet together in the temple courts. Why did they do that? Because they were identifying with one another. And one of the apostles would stand up and, and teach and explain the word of God or preach the gospel. So to gather with that group in the temple courts was to identify, it was like waving a flag saying, I'm a Christian, I'm with these people. And that is why persecution came because these believers were willing to identify with one another. So they met in the temple courts. Notice what that is. That's the large group. That's the, the gathering large. And then it says they broke bread in their homes and ate together. And that's the small church. Let's gather small. Thousands of people couldn't cram into one person's home, but a few people could. And this was normal community life for this authentic church. They spent time together. They were hospitable to one another. And they enjoyed being in one another's presence. This is togetherness. This is togetherness. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it means to be an authentic church. We are committed to togetherness, come hell or high water. We will not forsake the assembling of ourselves. We will not forsake the people of God. This past year and a half, has pressed this, had made this challenging and difficult for us on many levels in many different ways. But whatever COVID has meant to you, I trust that we will be absolutely devoted, because that's the word that's used here of these early believers, absolutely devoted to koinonia. I will not forsake the people of God. I will not forsake identifying with God's people and with the church of Jesus Christ. That's the activity of an authentic church. Well, we better keep moving. we got more things. The first thing we read that they were devoted to was the apostles' teaching. They were learning God's word. The apostles had been learning from Jesus. Now it was their primary role to teach those believers. <clears throat> in fact, in Acts chapter 6, there's this problem arises in that early church uh, where, where some of the non-Jewish widows weren't being taken care of the way that the Jewish widows were. So the apostles, in their wisdom, had the church appoint men who I think we would probably call deacons, and they said, we will not forsake the teaching of God's word and prayer. Those early apostles were men of prayer. They were praying for the success of the gospel. They were praying for the strength and health of the church, and they were teaching the word to the people, and the people were devoted to this. 
absolutely persistent and devoted. They loved to hear and learn the word of God. Hey, don't we need to just be assessing ourselves, looking at ourselves in the mirror as we consider this is authentic church. Do I love the word of God? God has given his church people who are able to teach the word of God. And we have multiple people here who are able to do that and are doing that. Do I take advantage of those gifts and that, that ministry? Do I learn God's word on my own with all of the resources we have at our disposal today? The activity of the authentic church is to learn God's word. Then we find that they were breaking bread. We see this expression twice in verse 42. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. And then we see it later when they were meeting in homes. It says that they broke bread in their homes. So what does this mean? It could simply mean that they were being hospitable. They were inviting each other over to their homes. They were feeding each other. And imagine in a church like that, you would have had people who economically didn't have much to eat. So hospitality in that authentic church probably meant let's share. Let's invite over those new Christians. Let's invite over those seekers, the ones who are considering our faith and, and wanting to know more about it. The breaking of the bread, I think, simply means that. It just simply means hospitality. And in that culture, you had bread for every meal. It wasn't pizza tonight and spaghetti tomorrow. I love Italian. It was bread. If you're lucky, if you were wealthy, you'd have some meat. When Paul, in reiterating the Lord's Supper, remember Jesus first with his apostles at the Last Supper, uh, gave them the bread, gave them the juice, said, do this in remembrance of me. Then in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul is talking about that, and he says this, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. My question for us is, how often did they eat this bread and drink this cup? How often did they eat bread and drink wine? Virtually every meal. So some of us might be reading this and thinking, oh, well, verse 42, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. That means they were devoted to sharing what we might call communion together or the Lord's Supper. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Some of you might say, well, they were devoted to being hospitable with one another. I'd say, yeah, you're right. Because I think the point of this, that Jesus took bread and wine, something that was used every single day in that culture, and the people of God gathered in these homes and broke bread together, it meant both. I would argue that these early Christians in this authentic church never shared a meal together without stopping to say, remember the Lord? This is the bread of his body. This is the wine of his blood. And it talks about them daily meeting in their homes, breaking bread together. Was it hospitality or was it communion? I say yes, it was. I believe it was both. In an authentic church, both of these things are crucial. We share our homes and our food together and we absolutely will share communion together and we'll remember the Lord together. We'll be devoted to these things if we are an authentic church. Next we find in verse 42, they were devoted to prayer. We're going to see in this passage the supernatural power of God. Why was that? Well, here's one of the reasons. They prayed. 
It's one of the beauties we see in the book of Acts. In fact, before the day of Pentecost came, what were the believers doing? They were praying. They were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, waiting in prayer. Wouldn't you love to have been in on those prayer meetings? What were they asking for? Lord, send your Holy Spirit. Lord, give us boldness. Lord, protect us from persecution. Lord, make us faithful. Lord, give us understanding of your truth. Then the Holy Spirit came and they said, oh, I guess we don't need to pray anymore. No, they kept praying. They were devoted to prayer. And they saw the results of a supernatural God at work in them and through them over and over. You can come to chapter 4 when persecution starts to ramp up against the church and the apostles are arrested and they're threatened and uh, in one case they're, they're eventually going to be beaten and what do they do? They come back in rejoicing, celebrating that they were worthy to be persecuted for the name of Jesus and then they had a prayer meeting. And you know what they prayed for in Acts chapter 4? God, take away the persecution. No. God, give us boldness to proclaim Jesus. That's what they prayed. And the place was shaken. Can you imagine? To pray that in the face of persecution. Most of us, many of us, excuse me, I might have skipped the prayer meeting because it's getting dangerous now. And if I did go, I'd be pleading with God to take away any danger on my behalf. And I doubt the place would have been shaken. But those people in the face of persecution prayed for boldness to go forward and to do more and to keep talking about Jesus. The place was shaken. And then it tells us at the end of chapter 4 the result. They went out and spoke the word of God boldly. God answered their prayer. To be an authentic church, we have to be, we must be, we will be a church that prays. We'll pray on Sunday mornings, as we did this morning, for needs around the world. We will pray in our small groups. We will pray when we gather in our homes for hospitality. We will pray, yes, maybe even in Tim Hortons. We will be a church of prayer. We find the church was a church of generosity. We've seen this already. They sold property and possessions and they gave to anyone who had need. An authentic church is a generous church. And finally, we see that an authentic church is a church of outreach. Verse 47 says, They enjoyed the favor of all the people. They, it's talking about there, or these people it's talking about are the believers The believers enjoyed the favor of all the people. Who were the people? The people were the non-believers, the people in the city of Jerusalem. They enjoyed, notice, the favor of all the people. How could that be? We know that there's growing, even now, there's going to be a growing antagonism and persecution against the church, and yet at the same time, there was this godly testimony that was an attraction to the people around the believers. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The implication, of course, is they were, they were witnessing. They were reaching out. They were telling people the good news. That's what an authentic church does. Well, I want us to think about the attitudes of an authentic church. 
And folks, I would argue that this is more important than the activities and may have far more bearing on the outcomes that we're going to look at in a moment than the activities. What were the attitudes of an authentic church? Number one, we've seen it already in verse 42. They were devoted. Devotion. This is a, a zeal, a commitment to the things of God. Four things named here. God's word, God's people, breaking of bread and praying together, devoted to these things. Hey, you know what? We're all devoted to something, aren't we? I mean, we are. We all give our time and our money to something. We all spend, most of us spend time online looking at something. We're all devoted. The question is, are we devoted to the things of God? Are we devoted to God and to Christ? The authentic church is devoted to the things of God, so transformed, so amazed at the salvation that we have found in Jesus Christ that our whole life is wrapped up right here with Jesus and his people and his mission, devoted. And we find in verse 43, everyone filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. What's this talking about? It's talking about a, a deep reverence, a, a wonder at the reality of God at work in their midst and through their ministry and through their witness. At awe, the things that God was doing through the apostles and the book of Acts tells us stories. Peter's shadow following, falling on some sick person and they're healed. Amazing things. They weren't in awe of the apostles. They were in awe of what God was doing through the apostles. I would say that one of the great weaknesses of many churches is that we're not in awe of what God is doing. Do you know why? Because we're not seeing God do much. And quite frankly, we'd rather see other things than the transforming work of God. But what if we were a church where our devotion was to pray for God to do the impossible in us and through us. When we pray a prayer like that humbly, submitting our hearts and our obedience to the Lord, I believe we will see great things. We will be in awe. I would argue here, as I've said already, that this was not an awe of the apostles, but there was a recognition of the work of God through the apostles. It is always a struggle to be in a church if you do not feel a respect for the church leaders. Uh, no one's going to suggest that we should be worshiping our church leaders. or that's not, that's not what the Bible would teach, but there needs to be a respect that is taught in the Word of God, that we would be respectful of our leaders. Sometimes situations arise where we may be in disagreement with the leaders, the elders of our church. What is the appropriate biblical thing to do? Well, we can go to those leaders and talk about that and open the word of God together and express our concern. And sometimes that might bring change, maybe to them. Sometimes it'll bring change to us because we'll realize something fresh about why they think the way they do. Why are they making the decisions that they're making? This is a dangerous thing. This is the work of Satan 
to undermine the authority and the respect of a church's leadership among its people. Because Satan knows if he can do that, the church will be absolutely ineffective. So when you find those kinds of attitudes in your heart towards church leadership, they have to be addressed. I believe our elders are open to any concerns that anyone might have that you would like to share with them. Please do that. Third attitude of an authentic church is compassion. There was a compassion towards the brotherhood, the, the family of God. That's why people were literally selling possessions, giving to anyone who had need. But ask yourself, how was it that the church enjoyed the favor of all the people? Why was it the church was, was impacting the, the greater community in such a way that, that people felt favor towards God's people? And the reason is, I believe, compassion. When Peter and Paul talked about the kind of ministry that they would do, and you go to the Gentiles, and I'll go to the Jews, you can read about this in Galatians, they have this discussion about how, let's just remember the poor. In other words, wherever God sent them to preach the gospel, whether to Jew or Gentile, part of their mission would always be compassion towards the poor. Because that kind of compassion fuels the gospel message and makes it visible and vivid and real. And that's probably why the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Compassion. Where do we get that kind of compassion? That comes from Jesus. The apostles had seen it for three and a half years. By God's grace, they were learning to live that. The church was seeing it in the apostles and seeking to live it out as the Spirit empowered them filled them with the fruit of the Spirit. One last attitude. Actually, no, I have two. Did you notice, verse 46, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now, this is one of so many examples where it's difficult to translate into English what's really being said. The word gladness here, as you see on the screen, means wild joy ecstatic delight. Is that how you felt the last time you invited someone from church over? Wow. That's what gladness is here. These believers were so filled with joy, probably first of all that by God's grace they had been saved, and they were part of this grand community that God was building, and, and so thrilled to be with God's people and to do God's work Wild joy. That's literally the definition from the Strong's Concordance. I didn't make that up. Wild joy and ecstatic delight. That is the attitude of the people of God towards the people of God and towards being part of the family of God and towards being part of the mission of God. And even when there's opposition and difficulties, there is this joy that fuels us and finally, I keep saying finally, and then I realize, no, that's not the last one, actually. Sincere hearts. This is another difficult word to translate. What is a sincere heart? A sincere heart is a heart that's not rocky. So some of you farmers who spent a lifetime picking stones off your land, and the description here is of a person whose heart has been picked clean of stones. It's just good soil. 
can, I think we can relate to that, right? Like we have been hard-hearted at times in our life. We've had stony hearts. And the Bible even talks about that in the Old Testament, about breaking up our hard ground of our hearts. These believers, the attitude of these believers was sincerity. There wasn't rocky land. There wasn't division in their heart. They had this single-mindedness, this unity with God's people and with the purposes of God. And they were praising God, verse 47. Praising God. I love that, that that's part of verse 47, by the way, because I really believe the key to being a witness for Jesus is just to, to speak well of God to your unsaved neighbors and coworkers. I really believe. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus had told his disciples, you'll be my witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to tell people about me. You're going to tell people what you've seen me do. You're going to tell people what I've done in your life. 1 Peter chapter 2 says that the people of God declare the praises of him who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what we do as the people of God. And when we praise God together, it changes us. And when we praise God to unbelievers, it changes them. These are the attitudes of an authentic church. Finally, the outcomes. What are the outcomes of an authentic church? Number one is the power of God. We see it in verse 43, the power of God. Many signs and wonders performed through the apostles. We see the power of God in transforming these lives. People who had formerly been not a Christian or maybe an idol worshiper or someone who didn't know anything about Jesus or someone like Paul who'd been a Christian hater and a Jesus hater and lives completely transformed by the power of God. This is the outcome of an authentic church, God's power displayed. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul's talking about whether we should speak in tongues or different languages in our church, or whether we should prophesy, meaning to just plainly speak the word of God. And he talks about what if someone who doesn't understand, an unbeliever, comes into your church? He says in 1 Corinthians 14, when they hear you speak clearly the word of God, they will fall down and worship and say, God is really among you. My prayer on Sunday mornings as we gather or when we gather in a small group is just simply this, that God's presence would be evident and God's power would be evident. In that power, we see transformed lives, as I've mentioned. The transformed lives of people becoming believers, the transformed lives of the believers. This is authentic church. So we can ask ourselves the question, how is it that God is changing me right now, in this moment? I would argue that COVID, for all of its difficulties, has provided a huge opportunity for God to work in us and transform us. Is that happening? How is God changing you and making you more like Jesus? That's what he intends for the authentic church. The outcome of an authentic church is positive impact in the community positive impact in the community where the church looks at us and says well I don't really agree with them and they're too narrow and but boy I sure appreciate the way they show kindness I sure appreciate the compassion that they show in our community and as we do that and as we share the gospel the outcome of, of an authentic church is salvation 
And the church grows because people are being saved and baptized. We'll never be satisfied with growing through what some call transfer growth, believers coming from other churches. We long to see growth as people are born again, brought into the family of God. So I'm curious how you feel about all of these things. The activities of an authentic church, the attitudes of an authentic church and the outcomes. I want us to take just a few moments and be still and quiet in our own hearts. First of all, to listen to how the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. It may be that in particular those attitudes, those attitudes of an authentic church, we recognize in ourselves, and again, COVID has brought much of this out, that our attitudes toward God, toward our community, toward our government, toward our church leaders, towards brothers and sisters, have not been right. And we need to confess it. And we should confess it. Maybe we recognize that we have not been devoted to the things of God. We have been devoted to our things, building our kingdom, but not devoted to seeing God do what he wants to do in me, through me, and if the Spirit is nudging you in that way this morning, may He just help you to confess. And then as we think about our church here, Wallenstein Bible Chapel, what is our dream for our church? Sometimes we get stuck in this rut, I just want it, I just want it to be comfortable, I just want it to be my friends. Who are, all, who are all these new people? I don't know anybody. and I just wish it was normal again. Or do we have a desire to see outcomes as described in God's word? The presence of God and the power of God producing the transformation that only God can bring in our lives and in the world around us. Let's just take a few moments and I'll have you prayerfully consider those things. Please confess and repent where needed as I will. And then we will close when it's appropriate uh, with a couple of songs. Privilege we have to be here this morning. And I just was, as Gary was talking this morning about <clears throat> togetherness. I was reminded of something that we often experienced in Ghana. And that was when we would close a meeting together, we would say what is known as the grace. And so Chris is just gonna put on screen this verse from 2 Corinthians, that when we would finish a meeting, we would often finish in prayer, and then we would share this together. And we would share this together. We wouldn't just look down at our shoes, but we would look around the circle and we would say this together. And so this morning as church, as we are here, after I pray, I would like us to together say this. And if you're able to remember this and you're sitting here in the, standing here in the front, turn around, look at people, look at people in the eye. As we say this, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God 
and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That is church. We are together because God has called us together. So I'm going to pray. When I close, let's all say this together. Look at each other in the eye. You're not going to beat everybody's eye. But look around. And let's say this together. Because we are church. We are community. The people that God has called. Father, we come to you this morning. A righteous and a holy God. Father, we are totally undeserving of your love. And yet you love us. You have redeemed us. You have made us sons and daughters of the Most High. What an awesome privilege we have. Father, we have much to rejoice. But we also have much to confess. Father, are we, am I, devoted to togetherness, to community of the body? Am I devoted to your word? to the breaking of bread, to fellowship, to communion with you, to communion with brothers and sisters, to prayer, to generosity, and to outreach. Father, stir in us devotion. Stir in us the awe of you at work. Father, stir in us the awe of seeing the one who rejected you repent and become a son or a daughter of the Most High. Father, that is the most awesome thing in this world, that you redeem sinful, broken human beings. Father, help us to look for those places in our world where you are at work and give you praise and glory for the things that you do. Father, may we be devoted to your word. May we be devoted to to fellowship, to breaking of bread together, to eating together, to spending time together and remembering what you have done for us. Father, may we be devoted to prayer for ourselves, but for our world, for our broken world. May we be generous, not only with each other, but to those around. And Father, may we be passionately seeking those that live and die without you that they would come to hear of you. And Father, may we as a church desire and pursue to see your glory and your power displayed, not for our benefit, but because that is who you are and you display that to the world. Father, may we desire transformed lives for each of us, Father, that we would desire your spirit to work in us. Father, that we would be a shining light, a testimony in our community that people would look at us and even though they may not agree with all that we believe, that they would be attracted not to us, but to you at work through us. And Father, may we as a church passionately pursue and persuade those who do not know you to become children of yours. Father, as we go into our week, may we remember that as we have the privilege to gather large, that we would also gather small and that we would seek to be authentic church. Father, work in us. Show us what you would have for us. We thank you.
In your precious name we pray. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Go in peace and be a blessing to our world. Amen. Thank you.